Midnight Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Legal Conversations. In our legal conversation, we are joined by Matume Mashati, uh, Masheta. Uh, Matume is going to help me to pronounce his last name properly. And uh, Matume is an associate in the property department at Adams and Adams. And we are talking about the legal implications of property sales agreements. Matume, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening to you, Patricia, and the listeners of SAFM. Uh, help me with uh, the pronunciation of your last name. <laughs> uh, it's Matsita. It's a pedicide name from the far north of Lupapa. Aha, Matsipa. Thank you so very much. So now I've learned something new that far north um, in Limpopo, they speak Isipedi, and um, this is a surname that's indigenous uh, to Isipedi. I don't know how to greet properly in Isipedi. Please greet me in Isipedi so I can learn. Kaspedi, um, we basically say Tobela. Uh, and and uh, I respond yeah. and I say Tobela back. Ah, excellent. Excellent. I'm celebrating our indigenous languages. Matume, we are talking about uh, property sales agreements. And uh, being one who has bought properties, I understand these agreements a bit better now. But when I went in, I was green, you know, and I, I relied solely on on the assistance of the sales agent and the legal team that was there um, assisting me. But most of the times when we get into these agreements, we are really not sure of what we should look out for. So let's start off with uh, talking about some of the conditions, like what is a suspensive condition when you look at a sales agreement for a property? Mm. No, thanks, uh, uh, Patricia. Well, a suspensive condition, one can say, is a condition which suspends the rights and obligations or the coming into operation of the entire agreement until a certain future event occurs. So now, upon the occurrence of that uh, event, the suspended part of the agreement or the entire agreement, whatever the case may be, is now brought into life. Probably I should give you an example of this. Say you are buying uh, a property, Patricia, uh, through assistance of a, of the financial institution by a bond. Then you 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 approach the bank to get an approval. So at the moment of signing an agreement, in most cases we do not know how one is going to fare at the bank. Now to protect both the seller and the purchaser, we put a suspensive condition in the agreement to say you should then obtain um, a bond approval within a specific period of time. So now that's a suspensive condition. What that all means is the rights and obligations of both parties in terms of the agreement are then suspended until one obtains a bond approval. Then when the, that person obtains a bond, uh, bond approval, rather, the agreement becomes uh, of full force and legally binding, but now from when it, it becomes effective retrospectively from the date of signature of that particular agreement, but not necessarily on, uh, upon the, uh, the obtaining of the bond approval. 
So what happens if the bond is not then approved? Um, who is then protected here? Uh, is, uh, I understand if the bond is not approved, then clearly the buyer is the one who's going to get off scot-free. But what happens to the seller who has gone into this suspensive condition agreement? Yes. So basically, this one can say to protect both. Because if the seller, uh, I mean, rather, if the purchaser did not manage to obtain the bond approval, then the seller can easily continue to market their property. The deal didn't go through. So, and similarly, if the purchaser did not obtain it, they can go on and probably look out for a property that is maybe below the, the value so that they can qualify and stuff like that. So one can say both of them are, are, are protected in a way. That sounds great. This particular condition is one I think a lot of buyers need to be aware of and sellers. And um, it's obviously signed within the agreement. But within the agreement, there's also something called the declaration that the seller needs to, uh, you know, announce whatever defaults might be in the property. Is this attached to the initial sales agreement or is this something that is a by the way and not necessarily um needing to be given to the potential buyer? Well, with the recent um, laws in place, um, the seller is now obliged to to disclose such. Um, there's a Property Practitioners Act, which just came into effect sometime, I think sometime in February, which then obliges the, uh, the, the seller to, to, to declare um, all the things which are now going to be sold together with the property, if, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, so this declaration needs to go hand in hand with the property sales agreement. What happens to those who right. bought properties before this property act was in place in February? Can they now refer to it? Well, not necessarily, um, but it's not like we didn't have laws in place. There, I mean, there was a common law a principle which um, wasn't going um, at at the same length as the Property Practitioners Act. It was more or less trying to give you guidance as to what, what is it that can be considered to be part and parcel of the property and what is it that cannot be considered to be that. So, yeah, it, the common law principles uh, are still there to protect those who bought the property before. Mm. Okay. And with this declaration, um, where does it put the footstuts, um, you know, um, clause when you are buying a property that what you buy is, is exactly what it is that you get? Look, the footstuts still remains. It uh, still remains uh, the, yeah, the, the core of our common law, you know. One still needs to uh, disclose all those defects on the property that uh, they are aware about. Obviously, they may not be able to disclose those that they are not aware about. But yeah, the food stores is still there. It's still very much alive. It's still there to protect um, the, the purchases. So if a, 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 a buyer was never given a declaration of the defects in the property and mm -hmm. the seller says, well, you bought it food stores, but they were aware of some defects of the property. What is the legal take on this particular one? 
there, there are difference between latent and patent uh, defects to the property. So some of them are clearly visible. Uh, one can spot them from a difference. So we then assume that there was no way that the seller was not aware of those particular defects. And therefore, they cannot possibly say we were not aware, hence we did not disclose and stuff like that. So they can then be held uh, liable for, for, for those. So you, you cannot necessarily hide, you know. The law is very much clear on that as to what is it that uh, can be defined as a, a latent defect, or what is it that can be defined as a patent defect, mm. you know. Mm. Let, let's go back to this particular issue of um, the sales agreement. Say now yes. Patricia is buying a property from Matume, and uh, Patricia mm. qualifies for the bond or has said she's got the cash, and all of a sudden Patricia feels, ah, nah, I don't like this neighborhood or I don't like this house. I've seen a better house, and I want to pull out. Is it possible for a buyer, a potential buyer, to pull out after having signed the property sales agreement without any valid or tangible reason? Look, you, you can always pull out, but one must always be aware of the of the legal repercussions that will follow them. Obviously, um, the, the seller will exercise his rights available in law. They will enforce specific performance, meaning they will force the purchaser to to continue with the sale agreement, or it's quite a number of uh, um, legal remedies that they that, that they are available to the to the seller in such cases. But one way or the other, the seller can always try to force you back to the agreement because agreements are signed and agreements must be respected. That is just our law. Sure. So this clearly means that uh, the seller might incur some costs, right, <laughs> to get some legal assistance. The seller will obviously incur some costs, uh, legal costs, but uh, obviously if he's successful, the court might end up um, ordering that the purchaser should uh, pay the costs of the of the seller for, for, for the action that the seller has taken to force them to in, back into the agreement. Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm. Yes. Totally. So they are protected to, to a great extent uh, as the sellers. Mm. And there are those who then buy properties that are off plan. What is their protection when it comes to signing a sales agreement? Yes, well, and, and that is very popular in our, in our country, eh? where one is just buying um, a property based on the property that has been, like the developer will build one there and will say, yes, I'm going to sell thousand more which are similar to that one. And thereon as well, we, we have laws catering for that. But I think uh, one that stands out would be that um, the, the, the developer in, in that case or the seller, whatever the case may be, um, need to disclose approved building plans at that moment, you know, to say for as much as the structure is not there, but we, we do have a building plan which has been approved by the all relevant authorities and this is how it looks uh, on paper and then when it's completed, it will look more or less like that. The law allows it, but yes, we, we just need to have proper terms and conditions in the agreement to cater for such.
So legally, buying off plan, um, you are also protected as a buyer, uh, I presume, because there are some legal frameworks around it. Yes, you are protected. But once again, Patricia, people must always be careful to to always seek legal advice when coming to that, you know. Um, it wouldn't hurt to pass that agreement via a property law specialist or property lawyer, so to say, to say, check this thing for me to see if it's legally compliant uh, so that you are fully protected because you might find out quite later that you are not necessarily fully protected uh, as per the terms and conditions of that uh, of an agreement. No? Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Um, let's now talk about those who are buying cash from um, a seller. And it happens a lot in our rural areas and in our peri-urban areas, our townships, where people are selling their properties and they, they are selling them as the seller to a potential buyer and they're seeking cash. But they are, what sort of agreements should be there? And who would then incur the costs for a property sales agreement? Sometimes there aren't any. It's just a gentleman's handshake. Ooh. <laughs> It shouldn't be a gentleman's handshake. Eh? But it happens. Well, yeah, well, well, it happens because our people are not, uh, unfortunately, well-informed, you know. Um, what, what I can say is, to, to South Africans, our law is very clear. If you are to purchase a land or to sell a land, such an agreement shouldn't be verbal. It must be reduced uh, in writing. It must have clear terms and conditions. So now, in your case where there is a, a cash transaction, it will record that, and all terms and conditions which relate to a cash transaction should be in place. But one important uh, uh, condition there should be that that particular money would not be given to the seller unless the seller has paid the money, uh, has transferred rather the property to the purchaser, because that would be um, an exchange of value which, whereby the seller, now the purchaser gives the value, but the, the seller does not in return give him um, the value that is due to him, which is the property. And such things will need a conveyancer, you know. But uh, as, you, as you rightfully pointed out, people in our townships, rural areas, uh, some of them are not privy to, to, to these things where they know that they need to involve a conveyancer to, to take charge of such processes, you know. Mm, but mm. it's important to always involve a conveyancer, especially in cash transactions. And one thing that I will alert people is, if you are buying anything cash, because you don't have the privilege of bond attorneys being involved to... To, to sort of put another pair of eyes on the transaction or, or deal with the transaction concurrently with the transferring attorneys. So it is always important, uh, Patricia and the listeners, to somehow pass the deal through an independent conveyancer because people defraud um, our people out there, you know? They mm. take cash and the next thing they are nowhere to be found. But if you pass such deals through a person who's dealing with these things from day, uh, from time to time, they will be in a position to to somehow look at it and ensure that it is somehow, to a great extent, being done legally. 
and you are protected. You don't lose your money. But what happens if someone has had the experience of losing their money? Who can they run to? It depends how they lost their money. Um, I'll give you uh, scenarios. Um, Some people lose money because maybe whoever claimed to be the seller is not the owner of the property. Whoever claimed to be the lawyer is not even a lawyer. Then in such a case, who do you run to? The best you can do is maybe to go to court and sue those people to recover your money. But say in instances where the person is a, the person who claimed to to be the owner is indeed the owner, or the person who ought to have transferred the property to you is indeed the owner of the property, the person who was tasked with the with the job of transferring that property in this case a conveyancer is indeed a conveyancer registered with the Legal Practice Council. Then in such a case you've got two remedies. You can then uh, approach the court and uh, seek a remedy that the, the, the court should uh, give an order to, uh, to, no, to force the seller to transfer the property to you as the purchaser. That is number one. Whoever didn't do the job as the conveyancer somehow vanished with the money, you can approach the legal practice counter uh, so that they can uh, properly deal with that person with their internal processes. Obviously, if the person is, is as the license to practice, they will lose uh, their license and and all that. A, any legal practitioner would know that it's not a safe thing to, to, to do. So, yeah, going to the legal practice council might help. Thank you so very much for shedding light on this, uh, Matume. Please do give us contact details um, for Adams and Adams should our A-teamers require some legal assistance. All right. Um, my my email is matrome uh, at adams dot africa. Uh, my telephone number is zero one two four three two six double four six. Matume Raleboha, thank you very much for joining us. Patricia, whatever I'm not, I'm going to go to the SAFM.